If you're interested in sponsoring an episode of Scripture First, please send our co-director, Sarah Stenson, an email or visit us at lutherhouseofstudy.org. You can find Sarah's email in the show notes. Also, we would like to say a special thank you to Dan and Becky Blue for sponsoring this week's episode. People who hate God killed God. That's, that is how Jesus loved us. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Scripture First, the podcast that explores how the Lutheran lectionary is working in your life. I'm your host, Mason Van Essen. For this week's episode, we welcome Luther House of Studies co-director, Sarah Stenson, back to Scripture First to talk about keeping Jesus' commandments, loving one another as Jesus loved us, and free will, or our lack of it. In this week's lectionary text, you'll hear Jesus say, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Adam Curie and I asked Sarah, how can we actually keep Jesus' commandments? And what does abiding in his love look like? Sarah teaches us that we're not the ones actively keeping Jesus' commandments. It's Jesus giving us faith. Then, we discuss the misunderstood verse, Love one another as I have loved you. Sarah talks about how this verse is not a calling card to attempt to bring justice to the world or to make the world a better place. It's to actually love like Jesus loved us, by forgiving sins. Lastly, we talk about how a verse in this week's passage confirms that we don't have free will. Jesus is the one who chooses us. We covered a lot of ground in a short amount of time. Buckle up for this week's conversation, but first, here's John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me. But I choose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands, so that you may love one another. And now, on to this week's conversation. Welcome back to Scripture First. <laughs> we have our co-director, Sarah Stenson, with us this week. Thanks for being here, Sarah. Thanks for having me. One thing we were talking about, or when we were reading through this prior to starting, is especially, I'd say, verses 9 through 11 sound very similar to last week. It's because it's a continuation on from what 
what Jesus was saying before, correct? Yes, it literally is the next verses um, following what you just heard or what you heard for last week. Exactly. Okay, so we start off and it says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And then in verse 10, it says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Can you break that, especially verse 10, down a little bit? And especially, I know Adam was talking a lot about um, the word if. Right. Yep. And we're going to hear that if you do this, then that. That's how we're going to hear it um, all the way through this text several other times. And in every case, when Jesus says, if, in this case, you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. The Greek word is ian, like E-A-N, ian. Um, and it is a conditional word or phrase there. But we can think of it as, when you think of it in the English, it's like Jesus is saying, um, he's not giving us a decision or a choice. Mm-hmm. We don't decide to keep his commandments, which is how we tend to hear it in that active, like, okay, it's up to us. We have to decide to keep the commandments and then we're going to get a reward, whatever that reward is. You know, fill in the blank on the second half of the sentence. Mm-hmm. It really is more a depiction. So it's kind of like um, when you drink coffee, you're going to have to go to the bathroom eventually. When you drink a gallon of water, there will be a certain result eventually. It's the same thing when you hear this if. It's a depiction. It's going to happen. So in the English... I think it helps to kind of hear it as a when you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments. So specifically in this verse 10, what Jesus is saying is in order to keep his commandments, you know, I said earlier, it's not a choice. We, we are abiding in his love, just like we, you were talking about last week with Chris that abide, it's menos in the Greek, remain is another word or stay that is when we have faith in christ that's how and when we abide in christ's love and when we have faith when we have christ in our ear then of course we keep the commandments we do love the neighbor but it's not an active choice i heard a little bit of the conversation from last week and i heard you talking to chris about um, that that active passive idea, you know, the are you an I or you are a me. Mm-hmm. So when you have faith in Christ, when you keep His commandments, it's because you are passive. You are not the I. You are Christ's me. You are the me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and He continues on. I have said these things uh, to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Um, this this kind of thing, I mean, it's familiar to people who are familiar with Scripture, but it it actually just sounds kind of incoherent a little bit. Or can you give some context for what what is uh, Jesus saying here? I agree. I actually I think last week and this week both can be a little thick to get through, and therefore a little bit difficult to preach on, a little bit difficult to hear it when you first hear it. And this is one of those phrases, Adam, I think you're right, that's a little confusing. So the Greek word for joy in verse 11 is that kara, which is awareness of God's favor and awareness of God's grace. And what that means specifically, God's favor and his grace is exactly what Jesus has actually been saying in all these verses. 
and what we were just talking about, what it means to abide in Christ's love. And that is, it's having Christ in our ear, in our heart, having that promise of forgiveness, eternal life. Jesus is saying that is his joy, being aware of his mercy, his favor, his forgiveness. Then we will have joy. Then we will pray boldly. We will be that good tree bearing good fruit. We will endure the pruning away of our idols from last week's text, the suffering, knowing it's not the final word. And that is joy, so that Christ's joy may be in us and that our joy may be complete. And it is. That's the peace that surpasses all understanding. And that's all actually coming out of that little word, kara, awareness of God's favor and his grace. Yeah, so when you say it like that, it it is more coherent. It says, I have said these things to you so that my awareness of God's favor may be in you and that your awareness of God's grace may be complete. Right. That makes plenty of sense. It He's helps, saying doesn't these it? things so yeah. that way you know God's grace. Mason, have you ever thought about being a pre- preacher? Every week. <laughs> Ooh la la. <laughs> he is a preacher every week. <laughs> no, that was that was good. I like that. Okay, so continuing on, um, the next verse, this is my commandment, that you love one another and I have loved you. So this is definitely the law <laughs> that he threw in there. Um, and part of me, just because sometimes I get so, st- and I know this is weird, but I get so stuck on the gospel that I don't like to talk or like, I, I kind of like phase over the the law that are in the gospel readings. Why is that important here in this This verse? is actually a really critical verse in this, in this text for this week. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And so people are going to be very tempted to pick that verse out and lift it up and say, all right, people, now we have to love one another just as Jesus loved us. Mm-hmm. And they turn Jesus into the new Moses, that kind of, what would Jesus do, WWJD. And so people are going to say, all right, Jesus loved um, the stranger, so this is going to get turned into immigration. Or let's pick up the latest the social justice cause, go out and protest, go out, feed the hungry, whatever it is that makes us feel better and affirms our righteousness in the law. And they're going to use this verse, actually this is one of the favorite verses for, for people to, to use when they're looking to use Jesus as a yardstick for their own righteousness. That is 180 degrees opposite of what actually happens and what Jesus is actually saying and doing in all of these verses, but in this one specifically. And the reason for that is, what did how did Jesus love us? When Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, well, what did Jesus do? He died. He died. For whom? Us. His betrayers. Mm-hmm. That's us. Mm-hmm. Sinners, betrayers, people who hate God, killed God. That's, that is how Jesus loved us. So 
it's not, it is not protesting in the street or feeding the hungry, providing shelter. Those are all great things to do. That is not what Jesus is talking about here. He actually gave up his life for his betrayers. Well, don't I feel silly now for for thinking that I'm loving one another as I have loved you. And in fact, me thinking that I can even remotely do that is is the deepest of sin. It is sin. But couldn't people argue, and again, I'm getting in the weeds, so just tell me when to stop, Sarah. But couldn't people argue that like Jesus, Jesus was showing his love to everyone by those different deeds that he did, you know, while he was still here on earth. And that was his showing him showing his love. Ergo back to the second part. Well, like we should love one another that way too. Did Jesus tell us that's what he came to do, Carrie, to march on the streets? Did he? It just, no, he did not. No, no he didn't. He, but he, he didn't tell us, but he also did. didn't do it. He did. He did actually, though, he did miracles, mm-hmm. turned water into wine. Yeah. The loaves and the fishes. Befriended there the are some of those lowly things. people. He didn't befriend them. He forgave their sin. That's what Jesus came to do. Okay. He actually came to forgive their sin. Remember the man that's lowered down on the pallet through the, his friends lower him down through the roof? the paralyzed man Mm -hmm. and Jesus heals him eventually, but first forgives his sin. Mm -hmm. And they're all disappointed. Like, why didn't you fix him, heal him? Mm -hmm. And Jesus says, well, which do you think is harder to heal him or to forgive his sin? Forgive his sin. And then as an aside, he heals him. Jesus mission was not to make the world a better place. It was not to feed the hungry. It was not to improve the environment. His mission was to forgive sin, to take our sin in his flesh, descend to hell for three days, be resurrected so he can forgive us, to free us to actually care for the neighbor, to care for the environment, do all those things that are well and good. But to think that's what Jesus came to do, or to think we're going to get credit with God for our doing that is the deepest sin, as, as Mason said. Jesus actually goes around to the Pharisees and the scribes, the people who think they're good at the law mm-hmm. and that they're really moral, righteous, upright people. I'm on the right side of this issue. Woo! And he over and over and over again irritates them to the point that they kill him because he says, that's your sin. Oh, you, Mr. Richman, you think you've done all the commandments? Go and sell everything and give it to the poor. Mm-hmm. And the rich man goes away very sad. I think what you were getting at earlier is that uh, a verse like this has been used to justify a personal taste or um, social taste for sort of uh, political or social issues and uh, in, in a way that, as you're saying, that this isn't the primary mission of the church that this isn't what uh, even the mission of Christ when he was here, that uh, it was was far more radical than uh, merely a a, a fight against the government or a revolution. He he came to forgive and to die. Absolutely. To die and to be raised. He came to turn up the heat of the law, to name sin in order to forgive it. So if you actually do want to love one another as Jesus has loved us, 
then you name sin as sin and forgive it in the name of Christ. That's it. And this will get you killed. It will get you killed. It'll get you hated. It will get you kicked out of organizations. It will get you killed. Yeah, could you imagine going to, into every single organization and saying, <laughs> well, you're uh, trying to love love the neighbor, but uh, you're actually sinning. Thank you very much. Uh, you're, nothing you're I'll doing here actually matters the in the end. So. Oh, no, it does, it does, no that's, that's too nihilistic. Uh, it does matter. I mean, it, we, God does use uh, our, sin. Our, our, he does use sin. I mean, yeah. he does use sin. Uh, yeah, so. just because you're sinning no doesn't mean, um, actually, people will hear things like this and say, well, I forget it. I'm just going to go hide in my house for the next year. I spent the last year in my house. I'll go be yeah, a monk. Just, yeah, exactly. I'll go be a monk to protect I'm myself. Uh, you just put me in a place. Actually, I don't yeah, want to actually... go into society anymore. <laughs> yeah. exactly. But that, that's important. I feel like a lot of times when Lutherans get to this point of everything is sin, mm-hmm. it's it's always good to remind them that, okay, no, you now have the freedom to now Go serve your neighbor. Sin and sin boldly. Yes. Absolutely. And don't worry. Don't worry about whether or not it's sin. That's actually the freedom of a Christian. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sarah, in the next verse, um, he says that, he says that no one has a greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends, which is what you talked about. And I, I want you to dig into that, but I have a quick question. Why does he say the word friends here? Is there any significance with that? Um, Look into the mind of Jesus. I don't know. <laughs> <Please>. <laughs> I don't know. I just found it someday interesting because someone would like write that song. He just refers to it as family or like stuff like that. No, it actually is friends. I, I looked it up in the Greek. It is actually okay. friends. Yeah. Okay. So, but but the important part of that word in this case, Carrie, is Jesus goes on to define friends for us, which is good. And that's verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And then he says, I do not call you servants. That's doulos in the Greek. It's slaves any longer because the slave does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. So maybe this is the answer to your question, Carrie. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. So again, when we hear friend, I have that horrible, what a friend we have a Jesus song stuck in my head. (laughs) But we tend to think of it as, you know, go to the local coffee shop and have a cup of coffee with your friend and talk about your life. That's that's not what Jesus is doing or, or saying here. He's saying, I am calling you friends because I've made known to you everything that I have heard from God the Father. Mm-hmm. So um, he's defining friend as knowing what he's heard from his father. And what he's heard from his father is exactly what we were talking about before. That Jesus' mission, the reason he's here, is actually to forgive our sin, to take our sin in his flesh and forgive it. Um, that's what God the Father sent him to do, and that's what Jesus did. And that's what Jesus goes around saying, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm here. Um, And then he actually then finally delivers it after the resurrection. And I think that's really important to point out as we preach this passage is that I've had this question posed to me as, can you come to faith just by reading the Bible? 
And you need preaching in order to actually land this. Because if you cherry pick and just read verse 13, no one has a greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Okay. Sounds very Sounds very. You're my friends if you do what I command you. Well, that's how I justify my friends. I tell them what to do and they do it. And But, I knew. but if you actually go down to verse 15, I do not call you servants any longer because the servants does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. That is imperative to put in context to verse 14. Yes, which is why I kind of kept going, even on Curie's question about friends. You can't stop at 13 either, um, which is why, I, again, I think these John texts can be thick to get through. Um, you have to kind of step back a little bit um, in some cases, and this is one, because Jesus goes on to say exactly what you're saying, Mason, this is what I mean by friend. I, I'm telling you what I've heard from my father, now I'm going to call you my friend. That Again, that's not how we define friend. So can you spend uh, so can you spend a second just talking about verse 14 a little bit um you are my friends if you do what i command you um yeah we talked a little bit about this uh in the very beginning that we're going to hear this in probably 12 and 13 as well uh when jesus says commandment and now in 14 do what i command you We're going to hear that as if Jesus is giving us a choice to obey or not, to do what he's commanding or not. And if we're a good little Christian, we're going to do what he commands. And if we're not, we will ignore it and do something else. But one of the things to remember, there are a couple things here. So you all aren't too many years away from having curfews. Um, When your parents would say, yeah, you can go out with your friends Friday night, but you have to be home by whatever time, 11 o'clock, 9 o'clock if you're my kids. (laughs) (laughs) And so when your parents gave you that curfew, that time that you had to be home, were they giving you a choice? Oftentimes they were giving my sister a choice, but never (laughs) (laughs) really. That's what it sounded like. That's what it felt like. Always beleaguered. (laughs) No, no. Your parents were not giving you a choice. I was not giving my kids a choice on whether or not they would be home by 11 o'clock at night. When I say 11, it's 11. Yeah. So when Jesus is saying, um, you're my friends, if you do what I command you, when we hear a command, this is an obedience issue. This is not our choice on whether or not to do what he commands. This kind of goes back to that earlier conversation about the when you keep my commandments. This is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And this is when we are abiding in Christ's love, in faith. So this is the same thing now in verse 14. We will do what Christ commands, which is, by the way, all of the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. all of them, we will do that when we have faith in Christ, when we have Christ in our ear, which, by the way, is pretty fleeting for most of us because most of the time we have a lot of other things in our heart, in our ears, in our minds, and it's not Jesus. Mm-hmm. But when we do have those moments of faith, 
that's actually when we are abiding in Christ's love. That's when we will do what Christ commands. Does that help, Kiri? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he continues uh, in verse 16, because we kind of went over 15, but he says, uh, you, did, you did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. Uh, and this is kind of the, the brunt of it, uh, at least for this text. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go. Absolutely. And that verse 16 hangs up people who want to claim they have a free will. In other words, who want to claim they have a role to play in their salvation. It is really hard to get around Jesus saying, you did not choose me, but I chose you. That is a mic drop moment. Jesus is making it clear, this isn't up to us. And you look at scripture, and over and over and over, this is exactly what we see. And now Jesus is telling us, you did not choose me, I chose you. Now, people will hear that as a threat if they want to think, they're pretty good at the law, mm-hmm. I want to have a little bit of control in my own salvation, you know, all those things. But it's pure promise because we are deeply sinful as we talked about early earlier and we would not ever choose not to be our own god this is why god cleanses us as you talked about last week it's why actually jesus had to come to literally take our sin on in the flesh there is no other alternative or option. It is only a matter of you did not choose me, but I chose you. And there is no uh, gray area in that. And on that note, we've reached the end of this week's episode, my friends. Thank you to Sarah Stenson for teaching us that a verse like, love one another as I have loved you, has been misunderstood as saving the environment or protesting injustice. As you heard Adam succinctly say, that's not the mission of the church or the mission of Christ. That mission is actually much more radical. It's to forgive sins. If you want to love others as Christ has loved you, you have to name sin as sin and forgive it. As you heard at the beginning of the episode, if you or your congregation is interested in sponsoring an episode of Scripture First, we'd appreciate it if you'd connect with our co-director, Sarah Stenson, by sending her an email at s-s-t-e-n-s-o-n at augie.edu. You can find her email in the show notes or find more information at lutherhouseofstudy.org. Additionally, if you'd like to support us in a different way, we'd really appreciate it if you would give us a five-star rating or follow our Facebook page at Luther House of Study. We really appreciate you joining us. Thanks again for joining us this week. Remember, suffering doesn't have the last word over you. Jesus' forgiveness does. We'll see you next time 
on Scripture First.